invite you to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, Jeremiah chapter 20. On August 11, 2014, the entertainment world was stunned, along with the rest of the world, at the news of the death of the comedian and actor Robin Williams. This man who seemingly had everything took a belt, wrapped it around his neck, and killed himself. It was later revealed that Robin Williams suffered or battled with a lifelong uh, battle of, with depression. Gary Marshall, who was uh, a writer for the uh, comedy series Mork and Mindy, and some of you may remember that was the series that kind of launched um, Robin Williams' career as a comedic actor. And he said this, I will forever be in awe of Robin Williams' timing, his talent, and his pure golden creativity. He can make everybody happy but himself. And it's not just in the entertainment world. It's in the world of the church as well. In September, this last September, a 30-year-old mega church pastor named Jared Wilson took his own life, leaving behind a wife and two young children. The day of his death, he preached the funeral for a woman in their church who had committed suicide. And a few months earlier, another young pastor, the name of Andrew Stockland, preached a sermon on depression and 12 days later took his own life. And, and, and like Wilson, he left behind a wife, three young children, and a world of questions. In 2013, Rick and Kay Warren, pastor at Saddleback Church in California, lost their son to suicide. And you know, it's not just in the entertainment world, it's not just in California and other places, it comes to our own lives. I remember receiving a phone call from my family telling me that my cousin, when he came home from work and opened his garage door, found his 14-year-old son hanging from the ceiling. No note. No understanding. Last year, in 2019, on average, 129 Americans died from suicide each day. Another 1.4 million attempted to take their lives in 2019. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death among the ages 15 to 34. And statistics tell us that fully 50% of the people sitting in this room today will have at least one major bout with depression, major depression. And and fully 85% will experience depression to a lesser degree. Don't be surprised when you experience depression. None of us are exempt. In fact, some of God's greatest servants suffered with 
uh, and battle with depression. Uh, the Psalms speak of it often. In Psalm chapter 42, uh, the writer says four times, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Moses asked God to blot out his life from the book of life. Uh, um, Elijah said, it's enough now, O Lord. Take my life. Job said, please kill me, Lord. Jonah said, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And Saul, the the king of Israel, destroyed himself and many others around him because of terrible fits of depression. But when we come to our, our text today, in Jeremiah chapter 20, we find a man who, who may be the most miserable of all when it comes to the issue of depression. Uh, Jeremiah's melancholy spirit and, and, and his lifelong struggle with, with uh, persecution and rejection and, and depression has led many people to call him the weeping prophet. In addition to the, to the prophecy that he wrote by his name, he also wrote the most uh, sad book in the mournful book in the entire Bible, the book of Lamentations. Now, if anyone knew about depression, it was Jeremiah. And yet, Jeremiah is the prophet most often quoted by Jesus. No man in history could have served God uh, with, with more determination and commitment than Jeremiah did. And yet, as our text is going to show, this great man of God struggled with depression. And today I want to give you some insights concerning depression from the life of Jeremiah. Now, at this point, many pastors um, make lengthy disclaimers uh, as to the fact that they're not medical doctors or psychiatrist or psychologist. And obviously, I am none of those. However, I believe that depression is primarily a soul issue. And I'm confident that God's Word is the greatest resource that we have concerning the soul of man. Let me give you a picture real quickly of the cycle of depression. Uh, depression always begins with negative circumstances. Something bad, things, circumstances of life happen. And as a result, we react in our thoughts to those. We play those thoughts over and over in our minds. And our thoughts and, and our beliefs, the things that we've learned throughout our life, they affect the way that we look at our negative circumstances. And then those negative circumstances, we respond to them. We have an emotional response to the thoughts that we're having about our negative circumstances. And those thoughts, those emotional responses, they produce physiological changes in our bodies. I mean, when you feel sad, your face shows it. It affects the way you feel physically. And then, of course, the way you are thinking and the way you are feeling, it affects then your view of the negative circumstances, which in turn create more thoughts about those negative circumstances. And you just kind of go into a a cycle and you can spiral downward and, 
and things look darker and uglier and more hopeless as you go because it gets deeper and deeper. See, depression is primarily a state of emotion that results from prolonged negative thoughts in response to our circumstances. In the simplest of uh, statements, we, we always feel the way we think. How you think determines how you feel. And, and Jesus clearly tells us that all the issues of life proceed out of the heart, out of your, your mind and your emotions. All the issues of life flow out of that. Uh, where, where, does, uh, where does adultery begin? It begins in the mind, in the heart, with lustful thoughts. Where does murder begin? It begins in the heart with angry thoughts. Oh, where do thefts begin? They begin in the heart with covetous thoughts. Where does depression begin? It begins in the heart with negative thoughts about our circumstances, about ourselves, about God, about others. And you see, our text today does not deal primarily with the pur- his purpose is not to deal with depression but it does have a but does shed a great deal of light on this on this subject and 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 we can gain some valuable insight from Jeremiah on dealing with depression and, and the first step in dealing with depression is to identify root reasons for depression now if anybody had a reason to feel depressed it was Jeremiah. You see, um, it all started in chapter 19 when God told Jeremiah to go buy a, a clay pot from the potter, take that along with some of the chief elders and priests, and go to the valley of Hinnom, and there proclaim a message of judgment. And Jeremiah certainly did that. He, that's exactly what he did. And when he, when he began to preach, he began to, pr- to rebuke them severely for worshiping false gods. And, and he especially rebuked them for the egregious sin of sacrificing their children on an altar to Baal, burning them alive. And as he preached about this, this egregious message, and then God told him, he said, you take this, you take that clay pot, and there in that valley, you, you throw it down, and you smash it, and that's a picture. And you tell them that as, that as I, that as you have smashed this pot, and it can never be repaired, that's the way it's going to be in the land of Israel. Judgment is coming, and there's nothing that's going to turn it around. Well, that's a hard message to preach. But I'm telling you what happens. When Pasher, the chief priest in the temple, hears Jeremiah prophesying all of these things, he has Jeremiah severely beaten. He gives him probably what would be 40 lashes less one. 
He's brutally beaten, and then he is put into stocks where his head and his arms and his legs are immobilized, and he's left there all night after having that beating. He can't even rub his wounds. And then in the morning, when Jeremiah is released, he comes to Pasher, and he says, God has given you a new name. Your name is no longer Pasher. Your name is now Terror on every side. Because God's punishment upon you is that he is going to allow you to be carried off into captivity to a foreign land. And there you are going to die and be buried. Which was a horrible thought for a Jewish person. And you see, after all these things, Jeremiah begins to look anew at his negative circumstances. uh, The persecution, uh, the rejection, all of these things. And he began to experience what many Christians experience today. He began to be deeply depressed. An article in Eternity Magazine lists several reasons for depression among Christians. And they are job and financial pressures, divorce, loneliness, self-condemnation, illness, loss of a loved one, and conflict within the church. Now think about it. According to that list, if you listen to that, almost anything negative that happens in your life could result in depression. But, but the difference is this. Depression is not just bad things happening, us feeling bad about it. It's when that grips you and it holds you and it becomes a pattern of living and a pattern of thinking. It, it's a prolonged, it, it's, a, it's a way of living in, in sadness and, and deep depression. Now, so, so what we need to recognize is, is that there are some deeper root reasons for depression. Underneath the, the, the circumstances that happen, there are some thinking that goes on in our minds and our hearts that leads us to, to fall into this pattern, into this deeper pattern of, of thinking and depression. And the first one in my thinking, my understanding, is, is perhaps the most uh, prominent and, and, and so devastating to Christians. It's this. It's disillusionment with God. In, in verse 7 of chapter 20, Jeremiah says this. He says, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. Now, why does Jeremiah believe that God has deceived him? It's because his circumstances are not what he thought God has led him to believe. You see, this is not what I thought was going to happen. And after 20 years of faithfully serving God, uh, he had been proclaiming God's word in, in dark times and difficult times. And all he has to show for it after two decades was trouble and misunderstanding and persecution and outright hating from all the people around him. In fact, when Jeremiah wrote this prophecy, uh, a, an enraged king took it, cut it up in pieces and burned it. It had to be written again. 
Jeremiah was falsely accused and he was arrested and thrown into prison. At one time, he, he was thrown into a, into a deep, muddy cistern. This was a huge uh, a rock that had been hollowed out and it had, and it been filled up with mud and he was sunk down plumb up to his waist there in that cistern. He couldn't climb out. He would probably have died if he had not been rescued by a foreigner who came by. You see, in the, in the darkness of these circumstances, Jeremiah looks up to heaven and he says, God, you have deceived me. This is a view of life from the bottom up. And he says, this is not what I signed up for. You deceived me. This is not the first time that um, Jeremiah said these kinds of things. But you see, God had made some incredible promises to Jeremiah when he first called him. In in chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. God made these promises to Jeremiah. But now after 20 years, things are worse than ever. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army are on the march threatening Jerusalem. The politicians and the religious leaders were ruthlessly persecuting Jeremiah. And he looks up in the midst of these circumstances and he says, God You have made all of these promises to me, but you've not come through. See, Jeremiah was disillusioned with God. If you look up disillusionment in the dictionary, it it says a feeling of disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. When Jeremiah heard the promises of God, heard the call of God, at first, he was scared, but then you see what Jeremiah pictured and he envisioned himself accomplishing some greater things because God's with him. Some great things are going to happen in my ministry. You see, when, when he heard the part about that God will deliver you, well, he skipped over the part where he said they're going to fight against you, that you're going to have to be like a wall that's just going to take a constant sieging. God was telling him the truth, but, but Jeremiah's not hearing that. He's not understanding that way. And he, and he looks up to heaven and he says, God, you, you deceived me. Literally, it means you seduced me. Or you enticed me. You enticed me like a prostitute entices a lover to get his money. You seduced me like a man seduces a, a young woman by telling her what she wants to hear in order to get what you want. And then when you get what you want, you discard her. And this is not the first time. In chapter 15, verse 18, he says, Why has, why has my pain been perpetual and, and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceived, a susceptible stream with water that is unreliable? Man, I, I'm, I'm thirsty. I see the, the creek. I go to the creek, but it's dry. It promised something, but it doesn't deliver. That's you, God. You're not coming through for me. 
You see, you painted this idealistic picture for me that I would be this invincible prophet and nothing would be able to hurt me, but it was all a deception. It's just not what I imagined. Let me ask you, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever said, God, I have have tried to faithfully follow you. I've I've read your word. I've been involved in in church. Uh, I've prayed to you about this situation, but you haven't come through for me. I've heard the pastor talk about all the promises that you've made, but I'm not experiencing them. My life is a mess and you're nowhere to be found. You've deceived me. You know what? If we're honest, most of us would have to confess that there's been some time in our life when we've looked up to heaven and we've said, you know, similar things to God. I I know I have. I remember after experiencing a, a call to the ministry and 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 moving to Fort Worth to go to seminary. And in the midst of that, I'm 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 working, trying to go to school, and I I hurt my back and so that work I I can't hardly work my work requires me to bend over a board and to, to, to draw I can't hardly work I can't go to school I have to go to class and have to stand up in the back of the class against the wall and try to take notes and after so long when that that pain got me when I was down and I just it looked like I mean in in my mind my circumstances seemed to say that my back was not going to get better the doctors were telling me I needed to have surgery, and there was just a 50-50 chance that it would ever get better. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm laying there in my pain thinking, how am I going to support my family? How am I, I mean, God, you've called me to the ministry. I, if I can't even walk, how am I going to do this? God, I mean, you call me, but this is not what I expected. I was as down as down could get. And listen, when you are experiencing in your circumstances contrary to your expectations, you can begin to feel like God has let you down. And let me tell you, a lot of men have been delusioned by their concept of ministry. Every single day... Many, many men are leaving the ministry. It's, it's a real issue in our world today. And a lot of Christians have been delusioned by their concept of, of God and what it means to be a Christian. Every year, huge numbers of churches are closing their doors. And huge numbers of people who were once involved in a church are turning away from the Christianity of their of their youth and they're saying, I, I want to have nothing to do with God. I call myself a nun. I'm nothing. They're turning away. Why? Because they're disillusioned with God. See, many people have come to believe that God is a means to happiness and fulfillment in life. God's this this means, this avenue. And when God doesn't come through in the way that they've been heard, they've heard all the, the prosperity teachers and all the people, I don't get that, well, then they become totally disillusioned with God. 
And when you get delusioned with God, it's often easy to become deeply depressed. There's, a, there's another root reason, and that's rejection from others. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7 picked up in the last part of that verse. He says, I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. See, for Jeremiah, rejection was a way of life. And he, he points out that the reason that he's experiencing this rejection is because he's being faithful to, to proclaim the message that God has given him. It's a message, he says, of violence and destruction. You see, it's a negative message. And all the other prophets, he says, are, they're, they're, they're proclaiming a K-love message, positive and encouraging. And their synagogues are full. But I'm just receiving rejection everywhere I turn. Everybody rejects me, my, my, my friends, my fellow prophets, even my family. And that's a stinging feeling to feel rejection. All of us can identify with that, I think, can't we? we we've all felt the sting of rejection. It may go as far back as the elementary school playground when you were the last one to be chosen for a team. It may be the rejection of a spouse or a child who rebelled against you or a, or a friend who turned against you or a parent who walked out on you. Maybe it was a phone call from the boss saying, I'm sorry, but we're terminating your employment. Or it may have been you were passed over for that promotion that you should have received. See, the possibilities are endless, but the reality is that we've all known the pain of rejection. And the sting of rejection can last for days or for weeks or months or years or even a lifetime. There are people who live a lifetime feeling the sting of rejection. And the sting of rejection is a root reason for depression. A third root reason we see here is, a, is conflict from within. In verse 9, Jeremiah says, but, but if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding in. I cannot endure it. Jeremiah recognizes it because he's been faithfully pre preaching this message that God has given him, that he's experiencing this persecution. So he says, well, man, I'll just not preach anymore. I'm not going to say this negative message anymore. And then, when, and then what happens when he does? Well, it's hit, the word of God in him is just like a fire in his bones. He can't hold it in. He says, man, I can't anymore keep from preaching than I keep from breathing. I can hold it in for a little while, but it's always going to come out. Have you ever felt that way? I feel like I'm in a kind of a no-win situation. You know, I, I, I couldn't tell you how many people I've talked to that felt like that, that there was no good choice. I've heard people say, well, if I stay in this marriage... I'm going to be miserable. If I leave, I'm afraid that I'm going to destroy my family and I'm going to be overwhelmed with guilt. I've heard people say, if I take this job, I'll have to be away from my family. If I don't, we're going to struggle financially and likely lose our home. If I talk to my family about their need of Christ, it's probably going to just cause a big conflict 
And if I don't, I'm going to feel guilty. And they could spend eternity in hell. See, conflict within. When we are torn, we feel like there's not a good answer, or we're in no one situation, that is a, a recipe for depression. And then there are threats from without. We feel threatened for our safety. In verse 10, Jeremiah says, For I have heard the whispering of many. Terror on every side. Denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say, Perhaps we will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. Their whispering was designed to destroy his reputation. Uh, They gave him a nickname. Terror on every side. They probably took the name he gave to Pasher and applied it to him. Here's Chicken Little. The sky is falling. He's got a message of judgment. They were mocking him. He feels betrayed. His friends are watching for an opportunity to take him down. Jeremiah was living in fear for his own safety. And see, when you're experiencing disillusionment with God rejection from others, conflict from within, and and threats from without. It's the perfect storm for depression. Surely, as, as, as Christians, we can respond rationally and reasonably to depression, right? Well, not if Jeremiah is our example. If he's a typical case study, then we may not fare so well. You see, Jeremiah shows us something else. He shows us that we must recognize wrong responses to depression. There there are wrong responses that we see here in this text, three of them. First is mournful self-pity. In his self-pity, Jeremiah said some harsh and disturbing things. In verse 14, he says, Cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Now, in ancient Hebrew culture, to curse your parents was was a capital offense. And so Jeremiah's walking a fine line here. He doesn't directly curse his mother, but he curses the day that she bore him. And you see, Jeremiah is wallowing in self-pity. And he, 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 he was mourning his very existence See, things are so bad for me, I wish I had never been born. And Jeremiah was so absorbed in this that he is also um, kind of cursing the the call of God on his life. In chapter 1, you remember Jeremiah was told by God that that he was ordained before he was even conceived in his mother's womb. That God had prepared him for this ministry. But, and he's giving great significance to Jeremiah's life by doing that. But Jeremiah is devaluing his life. And listen, this is one of the first stages, one of the great dangers that comes with depression, is when we begin to devalue our own life. It's dangerous. And this negative thinking continues to escalate with misdirected anger. Listen to what he says in verse 15. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A baby boy has been born to you, and, and, and made him very happy. But let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting, 
and let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon. I'm sure you can picture, you know, a man coming to Jeremiah's father announcing, saying, congratulations, you're now the, the father of a bouncing baby boy. And Jeremiah's father's got a great smile on his face. And Jeremiah says, no, let that man be cursed. Let him be like Sodom and Gomorrah. May fire and brimstone rain down on his head. Wow. See, this is misdirected anger. Uh, The man who brought the news had nothing to do with it. Jeremiah is angry at his circumstances, and really, Jeremiah is angry at God. But he can't just out and out come against God. So what does he do? He takes out his anger on a surrogate, the man who brought the news. My grandfather used to tell a story of a, about a, a simple young boy who lived near their farm. And, and the boy's mother had died when he was born due to complications with his birth. And it also led to him being mentally handicapped. This frustrated his father tremendously. And when, and when this boy would mess up and fail to do what his father told him to do, he would go into a rage and he would tie him to an apple tree in their front yard, and he would beat him with a, with a leather strap. Now, th- this mistreatment continued until the boy was in his early 20s. And while he was being whipped and tied to that apple tree, he would curse the apple tree. And he would say, when daddy dies, I'm going to cut you to the ground. And he would use lots of other oaths against that apple tree. And then one morning that young man came running to all the neighbors around and screaming at the top of his lung, Daddy died last night. Come and see. Come and see. I'm going to cut her to the ground. He was inviting everyone to come. And he went home and he got his axe And he laid into that tree with all of his might and he cut it into pieces and burned it. What do I tell you that story? Because that's misdirected anger. The father's anger was misdirected toward his son. The son's anger is misdirected toward the the tree. And friends, oftentimes our anger toward God, we have anger toward God. And it gets misdirected in other things. It comes out in other ways. Have you ever kicked the dog when you hurt yourself? Thrown the hammer across the room like you're going to hurt the hammer for mashing your finger? You see, misdirected anger is one of the characteristics of, it's one of the wrong responses that we have to the negative circumstances in our life. There, there's one other, uh, what I call malignant despair. Um overwhelming despair. And we often associate the word malignant with cancer, but it's it's a word that means malicious, evil intentions, full of venom. It also carries the idea of infectious, invasive, uncontrollable, dangerous, or fatal. And indeed, despair is a life-threatening emotional cancer. Listen to the words of, of Jeremiah as he continues his curse on his own life. Verse 17, because he did not kill me, this is, this is talking about this man, because he did not kill me before my birth, 
so that my mother would have been my grave and her womb ever pregnant? Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? These are words of malignant despair. And this kind of thinking causes many people to consider taking their own life. See, this is a man who's reached the end of his rope. And, and these words are the words of a person who has no hope and who is really literally con- contemplating suicide. You know, one year, uh, a 16, one 16-year-old study reveals that almost 20% of people with major clinical depression will eventually kill themselves. That's one out of five. Do you know that, that suicides among depressed adolescents and teenagers has tripled over the past 50 years, and it's now the second most common cause of death among young adults. See, this is where Jeremiah was. And if you had been a friend of Jeremiah, what would you have said to him? If you had been his counselor, how would you have responded to him? Do you think you would say, oh, come on, Jeremiah, just get over it. Things are not that bad. What do you say in a verse like Jeremiah? What do you tell yourself when you feel the depths of depression creeping on? Well, that brings us to our last point. Utilize wise resources in depression. See, when you're hurting and you're confused and, and you can't understand what's happening... There's a place that you can always turn. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 is wisdom literature. And it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. See, that, that verse implies that there is so much in life that we can't see, so much that we can't understand. You and I don't have the perspective to see everything. It's like living in a land of shadows. You know, there are some things that are bright and clear and easy to see, but then there are some things that are dark and mysterious and just unknown to us. And we don't see it all. We just kind of see some highlights. We have fragments of information about the, the nature of our lives and everything. We can't put it all together. Only God sees the big picture. And you see, we must trust God with our lives, that he knows what he is doing. And this is the first thing I would say to you. Trust God even in the shadows. Look what he says in verse 20. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my Persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed. With an everlasting disgrace, that will not be forgotten. Jeremiah says, though my life is in a time of shadow, I believe that God has not abandoned me. I can't fight this battle on my own. I believe that God will fight it for me. He's like a dread champion. That is, he's a mighty warrior that no one can defeat. Nothing can come against him, and I'm going to put my trust in him. And, and I believe that my persecutors will ultimately fail. 
I, I believe that, I believe it even though my circumstances don't reflect it right now. I know that he'll come through for me. So this is the opposite of disillusionment. Perhaps the, the greatest example of God working in the shadows is when Jesus was on the cross dying for our sin. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Under those dark skies of heaven, it didn't look like a victory. It looked like the greatest defeat of all time. But in reality, in that moment, God was doing his greatest work of all. Redeeming all of humanity. It looked like defeat, but in reality, it was the greatest victory. He's a dread champion. See, don't fall into the the trap of thinking that because you're not seeing God do something, that he is not working. God is at work in our lives. And all of us at some point have come in our lives where it seems like that nothing is happening, that God is not doing anything. But we must believe that he's at work. Even when we can't figure it out, even when we can't see it, we walk by faith and not by sight. So talk to God even in the shadows. And then talk, to, uh, excuse me, walk, uh, uh, trust God even in the shadows. Talk to God even in the silence. Verse 12, for to you I have set forth my cause. Now through all these circumstances, Jeremiah never stopped talking to God. He laid out his case before him. He told, told the Lord all about his situation, how he felt. And God was willing to hear everything that he had to say. And let me tell you, God is willing to hear everything that you have to say. And we see this throughout Scripture. The psalmist tells us over and over that, that he could tell God everything that was on his heart. Job cried out to God with the, uh, without reservation. Moses, Elijah, Jonah, all the rest, they talked to God in very real ways. And Peter says, cast our cares upon him, for he cares about us. You see, we can talk to God in the midst of the, what seems like silence. That's part of God's plan. He wants us to come to him with all of our cares and our fears and our complaints and our anger and our questions and our concerns. As any counselor will tell you, there's great value in having someone that you can talk to, someone that you can share how you're feeling with. It's a, it's, tremendous help for us to be able to express it and to to be able to get it out and to be able to try to sort through it. And who knows you better than God? Who listens better than God? Who cares more than God? No one. Talk to God even in the silence. And listen, praise God even in the sorrow. When you remember all that Jeremiah's going through, what he says next is pretty amazing. In verse 13, he says, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of evildoers. See, in the midst of Jeremiah's depression and disillusionment and anger and despair, there's this kind of psalm of praise that, that seems strangely out of place. You see, Jeremiah had learned something that you and I also need to learn. As, as, as Dr. Alan McWhite puts it, the ladder that leads me up out of the pit is constructed with the rungs of praise. Let me say that one more time. The ladder that leads me up out of the pit 
is constructed with the rungs of praise. And let me tell you why that's true. Remember the cycle of depression that we looked at? You see how, how it, it begins with what? With negative circumstances. And the negative circumstances we respond in with our thinking. Our thinking is influences our emotions. Our emotions influence our physical responses. And our physical responses take us back to our negative response, uh, uh, circumstances and we start all over again. Look what happens when we replace negative circumstances with praise, with thanksgiving. See, praise and thanksgiving is not, no longer a focus on the negative. It's on God. It's on our hope. It's on our deliverance. It's on that there is hope. And the thing that we need in depression is we need hope. There is something that, that God can do about this. Things can change. God is with us. And when we, we think words of praise and thanksgiving, when we rehearse the reality of what we know about God through praise, that's all it is. It's talking about who God really is, what his real nature is, and it fills our mind and our thoughts with that, then it affects our emotions. It changes our emotions. Just like thinking negatively, it changes your emotions. Thinking positively about the truth and reality of God changes your emotions. It affects you, way you, your physiological responses. And then what do you come back to? You come back to praise and that gets repeated. And so you start back up the rung of reality of being delivered from that. Jonathan Oakman learned that secret. You may not recognize his name, but many of you will probably recognize the words that he penned. He said this, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you're called to bear? Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. He's describing... He's describing the wrongs of praise, of thanksgiving, of recognizing anew who God is, that he is in control, and that we can trust our lives into his hands. Now today, I know that without a doubt, there are probably people here that are feeling very depressed, very down. For a multitude of reasons. But I, I want you to know that there are people here that, that care about you, that want to help you. And, and sometimes we just need someone to encourage us. We just need some support. We need someone to come alongside us and help us to remember the things that we need to praise God for, the things that we need to, to give thanksgiving for. We need to, to remember that people really do care about us, that we're not abandoned, that we're not rejected, that, that God can deal with that conflict within us, that God is in charge. And, and, and this morning, I just want to invite you. We're going to have a time of, of just some quiet music. 
And right after I pray, I want to I give you an opportunity just to come. Maybe you'd like to come to the altar this morning and talk to God about what's on your heart and on your mind. It may not be you personally. It may be someone you know. No doubt you know someone who's deeply depressed right now. Maybe you just like to get on your knees. And as we sang this morning, we would come to the altar and trust that God will hear and care. Let's pray. Father, Lord, it's, it's a difficult subject to talk about depression. We thank you that you have given us such great truth that you've given us such great insight from your word. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would help us to to receive this truth and begin to implement it into our lives. Thank you for helping us to better understand it. Thank you, God, for helping us to to turn to you and find uh, hope. And, Lord, we just pray that today that that you would minister to uh, the people that are here and that you'd help us, Lord, to not be worried about what anybody else thinks, but, Lord, that we could come to you and find your sweet relief. And, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.